It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 28, 2022. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight, the California Report visits nearby Citrus Heights for a look at one of many pro-Ukrainian anti-war rallies throughout the state. Then in national Native news, support from two prominent Native rights organizations for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's Supreme Court nomination. And healthcare for tribal citizens in a South Dakota county transfers from the federal government to tribal control. We'll take a look at local news and weather before science correspondent Al Stoller speaks to Shannon Brown from NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. Californians held rallies across the state this weekend in support of Ukraine as Russia continues its attacks in the country. In the city of Citrus Heights in Sacramento County, Vacheslav Stolyurchik was among those taking part in an anti-war car rally. He spoke to ABC10 in Sacramento. Everybody's afraid because you never know when the missiles are going to hit. And uh, my cousins are heading out to your front lines. Right now, uh, my brother, he lives in Missouri, thinking of going to help evacuate people and uh, bring them uh, humanitarian uh, help. Meanwhile, in Santa Monica on Sunday, hundreds gathered in support of Ukraine. Vladimir Boyko spoke to the California Report's Saul Gonzalez about why this is so personal for him. Fighting in the street where I used to live, back there in Ukraine. Really? Your old neighborhood has yes. turned into a war zone? It's, uh, it's my old neighborhood, city of Kharkiv, in war zone. And uh, I got a video, and it actually on this video was actually like next to my uh, house where I used to live. It's a, it's a fighting right now. Boyko says everyone he knows in Ukraine has stayed to fight and defend their country from Russia's attacks. Last month, we reported that delays from state hearings in wage theft cases are hurting low-wage workers, hoping to recover the money they're owed. Now, new data obtained by KQED shows how much those wait times have ballooned in recent years. KQED's Farida Javala Ramero reports workers with claims in Oakland and San Francisco face some of the worst delays in California. Mirna Arana sits at a park near her house in Oakland and unfolds documents from the California Labor Commissioner's office on her claim for thousands of dollars in unpaid wages. She says she worked 12-hour days, six days a week, cleaning offices and homes for a small janitorial company. But her employer only paid her for half that and didn't pay overtime and meal and rest breaks, as required by law. She plucked up the courage to complain to the state in 2018, but it took more than three years before the labor commissioner held a hearing. It's hard to wait that long, she says. It meant that her family had to move three times when the rent went up, and they struggled to buy food. Employers can settle with workers at any time. But by law, the labor commissioner's office must hold a hearing for an unresolved wage claim within 120 days from when it's filed. That's not happening. In 2015, California workers waited almost twice as long for a hearing. Now, they're waiting close to seven times as long, 812 days on average, according to figures we obtained from the labor commissioner. I want to acknowledge that that is not a number that we want to be at 
Daniel Yu is an assistant chief at the agency. We want to make sure that the process works effectively and efficiently so the workers are able to get their hearings resolved as quickly as possible. He says when the pandemic started, the agency halted in-person hearings for a year and a half, which slowed things significantly. And there are only about 64 hearing officer positions statewide to judge thousands of wage claims per year. Twelve of those positions are vacant, says you. The hiring of our hearing officers uh, remains a top priority. He says the agency will get funding to hire four more hearing officers this summer. But that's not enough staff to cut the wait times, says Veronica Chavez, a workers' right attorney with Centro Legal de la Raza in Oakland. Clearly it's not. They do need more. Like a lot. A lot more. Just the Oakland and San Francisco offices need need many hearing officers. Even before the pandemic, those offices faced among the longest delays. And last year in San Francisco, the average wait was 968 days. In Oakland, it was 1160 days, more than three years. This almost encourages employers to continue exploiting. You know, the chances of there being repercussions seem to be very long, far down the line. One of her clients is a restaurant cook named Alexander. We're not using his last name because he fears it'll hurt his case. He was hopeful when he filed his claim back in September 2018. Three and a half years later, he's still waiting for a hearing. He says not knowing if he'll ever get paid has left him hopeless and depressed. State Assemblyman Ash Kalra, who chairs the Labor Committee, says he understands workers are frustrated. Delays that go on for years is completely unacceptable, uh, and we have to do better. Kalra says he's ready to push for more resources and support for the Labor Commissioner, including to make the job of hearing officer more attractive so the agency can compete for candidates who might go to the private sector. And you also have to have class classifications, the job classifications pay more. And that's not something that can necessarily be legislated, but it is something the administration should look at. Back at the playground in Oakland, Mirna Arana tells her three-year-old son it's time to go home. She finally got her hearing. And last December, the labor commissioner ruled that her old boss owes her nearly $183,000. But by then, the company had filed for bankruptcy, she says, and it's unclear if she can collect her wages. She says she wants the state to resolve these claims faster to help fight the injustice of wage theft that's hurting her community. For the California Report, I'm Farida Jabala Romero in Oakland. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, 
and opportunities for human achievement. And that's the California Report for this Monday, February 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Up ahead in today's National Native News, the National Congress of American Indians and the Native American Rights Fund released a joint statement supporting President Biden's nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court and a closer look at healthcare legislation playing out in a South Dakota county. Healthcare for tribal citizens living in Pennington County will now be controlled by tribes and not the federal government. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Kansas tribes are seeking the removal of the state's education commissioner, Randy Watson, following disparaging comments Watson made at a recent conference. The education official recounted a childhood story about tornadoes, saying he would tell his cousins to be more worried about Indians raiding a town. Last week, the Kansas Department of Education released a video of Watson making the remarks during a virtual gathering. Yeah, it's always fascinating. I had some cousins in California. They were petrified of tornadoes. They'd come visit us you know, in, in, in the summer. They're like, are we going to get killed by a tornado? And I'd say, don't worry about that. But you got to worry about the Indians raiding the town at any time. And they were, they really thought that, you know, grew up in California. I guess you don't know much of the history of Kansas. The four tribes of Kansas are asking for Watson's resignation and say they refuse to consider any other alternatives. The tribes say there are deeper concerns about the safety and welfare of Native students attending Kansas schools. They want children to be proud of being Native American and being able to to celebrate their culture in an environment which displays respect and honor. The tribes say Native people continue to flourish even when faced with incidents like this one with the commissioner of the Kansas school system. Watson was reportedly talking about difficulties teaching during the pandemic and used hurricanes and tornadoes as an example when he told the story. The Kansas City Star reports Watson offered his resignation last week, but it was rejected by the Board of Education. Instead, he was suspended without pay for 30 days. The National Congress of American Indians and the Native American Rights Fund released a joint statement Friday on President Biden's nomination of Judge Katan J. Brown Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court. If confirmed, she'll be the first black woman to sit on the highest court in the nation. National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp in a statement said Indian country knows how important it is to have diverse perspectives and voices on the bench. Sharp called on the Senate to fulfill its duties and hold hearings on the nomination. Native American Rights Fund Executive Director John Echohawk said they look forward to working with NCAI on the nomination. The national Native organizations closely follow what happens in federal courts and work to increase knowledge of federal Indian law as decisions often have impacts on tribal nations. The group stressed the need for Supreme Court justices to have the understanding, recognizing, and upholding principles of tribal sovereignty, treaty rights, and federal trust responsibilities. Healthcare for tribal citizens living in Pennington County, South Dakota, is now controlled by tribes and not the federal government. On Saturday, all health care services provided by the Indian Health Service Rapid City Unit transferred to the Oyate Health Center. The center is a tribally managed clinic operated by the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board. The Cheyenne River Sioux, Rosebud Sioux, and Oglala Sioux tribes formally authorized the change. The center provides a range of health and wellness services to American Indian and Alaska Native people. Patients who require care beyond the capabilities of the unit will be referred to outside providers. Emergency services will be transferred to a hospital about four miles away. 
According to the Indian Health Service, more than 60% of IHS appropriation is administered by tribes, primarily through self-determination contracts or self-governance compacts. IHS provides health care to more than 2 million American Indians and Alaska Natives across the country. The United National Indian Tribal Youth Organization is mourning the loss of its founder, J.R. Cook, who passed away Friday at the age of 83 in Oklahoma. Cook started the organization in the 1970s with a small group of people. Unity has since grown, representing Native youth leaders across the U.S. and internationally, fostering their spiritual, mental, physical, and social development. Cook's death comes as Unity wrapped up its mid-year gathering over the weekend in Arizona, where hundreds of young people took part in Native youth-led activities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, nurturing innovative storytelling. Beginning January 18th, Vision Maker Media is seeking proposals for short films by and about Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submission is Friday, February 25th at visionmakermedia.org. Support from AmeriCorps. Members who serve in VISTA fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available in communities across America. Info at americorps.gov VISTA. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. California is lifting its school mask mandate on March 12th and will allow unvaccinated individuals to take off face coverings in most indoor settings starting March 1st. California, Oregon, and Washington announced the new indoor mask policy jointly. Masks are still required regardless of vaccination status in high-transmission settings such as public transit, emergency shelters, healthcare settings, correctional facilities, homeless shelters, and long-term care facilities. Local health departments and businesses can still require more stringent policies if they choose to. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Nevada Union High School was open today. Class began at 9.39 a.m. with the school's website saying today was a, quote, collaboration day. In an address to Nevada Union teachers, NU Principal Kelly Roden wrote, quote, I am reaching out to again apologize for the confusion and stress over the last couple of days that has taken place due to unprofessional conduct displayed at the board meeting on Tuesday, February 2, 2022. I am still embarrassed and ashamed by the disrespect shown not only by the adults in attendance, but also by the board's message and lack of control over the meeting. I want you to know that I understand why we have the number of teacher absences that we do. I also hope you know that the presence at that meeting was small in comparison to the voices of support for our teachers that I have heard from. She closed by writing, I appreciate all of you. A recording of the Nevada Joint Union High School District February 22nd board meeting can be viewed online. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza spoke with Nevada Joint Union High School District Board Trustee Jamie Reeves about the contentious February 22nd board meeting. Ms. Reeves, thank you very much for talking with us here at KVMR. Absolutely. Right now, I am not speaking on behalf of the board. I am speaking as as myself. In your opinion, would you agree that there was a violation of that MOU? Yes. Uh, the teachers' union was not. This is an item that would be 
bargained. And in my opinion, the MOU, uh, they were not brought to the table as, as stakeholders. Um, and really, it, it, the outrage is not necessarily about the mask mandate. It is about um, the respect for the teachers' opinions and um, for them to take uh, the the very important steps of, of process, which is uh, negotiating the MOU first and then the resolution happening after. Were any of the teachers or anyone representing the teachers consulted when this decision was made? Uh, not that I am aware of. Um, I'm not privy to uh, all of the conversations had between uh, other board members and teachers unions. I understand. And if you recall, do you, do you, can you tell me how everyone voted? I voted no. Anthony Pritchett also voted no. Um, as a student board member, his vote um, does not count against, um, for this particular agenda item. Um, Trustee Gamsky voted, um, he abstained, and the remaining uh, trustees voted in favor. Uh, Trustee Jim Hinman, Jim Drew, and President Pat Seeley. Do you know what happens next? I don't know what happens next. I don't have a crystal ball. My hope is that um, our our teachers and um, our our board can come together and try and find a way through this so that our our kids can our students can get back to class um, as soon as possible. Um, and I think that that's going to take a lot of uh, work re- regaining that trust that we had. And remembering all of the hard work that we've all gone through and put into getting through, um, you know, this public education during a pandemic. But those pieces are, are going to need to be put back together um, collectively. They can't just be done on one side or the other. This is just a small portion of their interview. Head over to kvmr.org to listen to the full extended version with board trustee Jamie Reeves. Placer County Fire Department and CAL FIRE will perform a six-acre prescribed burn around the city's infrastructure tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. A heads-up, it's anticipated smoke from the fire will be visible from various places in Placer County. However, the community shouldn't experience any impacts apart from said smoke. In addition to tomorrow's six-acre burn, Placer County Resource Conservation has planned a series of burn projects for this week in the unincorporated community of Applegate in Placer County. The RCD aims to burn roughly 300 piles of brush over the next five days. Now let's take a look at a regional weather. Midweek will have a chance for light rain and mountain snow, but our immediate forecast remains dry. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 45. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 69. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 27. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 56. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 45. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 75. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Forecasting the weather calls for eyes that can see many different forms of light. Up ahead, Al Stoller speaks with Shannon Brown from NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Air is like glass. We can see right through it, but we cannot see through clouds. Let's jump ahead to midsummer. 
a hurricane takes aim for the East Coast. Where will it strike? When will it strike? How much rain? How much wind? To predict the future, we need to see what's happening now. Spacecraft sent us pictures of the storm. The pictures are painted in colors we see, pictures in visible light. These can be excellent, unless the hurricane hides behind clouds. I spoke with Shannon Brown at JPL, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. You can get great visible images, but oftentimes you'll get a small cirrus layer, which are really high-level uh, ice clouds that can blow off the top of a hurricane. You might have seen cirrus ice clouds yourself. A halo around the moon is the signature of cirrus. It can kind of make the whole hurricane kind of look all cloudy and you don't really see a defined eye wall. The eye of the storm is not where the action is. The real violence surrounds the eye in the eye wall. The eye wall holds the thickest clouds, heaviest rain, fiercest winds. To understand the storm, we need to see the eye wall. But cirrus ice clouds can hide it. Microwaves can see through the clouds and really tells you where the rain is. So you can really get a good handle on the structure of the storm. And that's what forecasters use primarily the microwave data for when they're looking at tropical cyclones. Microwave radiometers watch the world from their perch aboard orbiting weather satellites. At JPL, Brown led a team that designed a new such instrument that last January was bolted onto an arm of the International Space Station. Peering down on the ocean, the instrument, of course, sees water. And it sees something else. We see the water itself, and we also see a reflection of the sky off of the ocean. Skylight, reflecting off the ocean, comes mostly from space. It is very old light. It's energy from the Big Bang. Light from the Big Bang, the creation of the universe, pours down from the sky 24-7. At the moment of creation, the universe was super hot. Today, billions of years later, that light has grown cold. The sky more or less looks like a very uniform minus 270 degrees Celsius. Roughly 450 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Watch the wires in a toaster when you plunk in a slice of bread. As the wires change temperature, they also change color. Just so, the radiometer sees warm ocean and cold sky in different microwave colors. So it's the combination of those two things that we measure, the natural emission from the ocean surface and the reflection of the sky. Much like you or me blowing on a bowl of soup, the wind creates ripples on the ocean. Ripples change how the ocean reflects skylight. Think of a reflection in a puddle or a lake in the mountains. If you're looking at a lake with maybe a nice mountain view in the background and, and the lake is perfectly still, you're going to see a reflection of you know that nice, beautiful mountain landscape in the background. But if there's a wind... As that wind blows, it just uh, creates ripples in the surface and, and really distorts that reflection. As you start roughening up the ocean surface, we see less reflection from the sky. We see less of that sky background and more of the ocean surface. And from that signal, that's how we can uh, tell how fast the, uh, the wind is blowing. You're measuring the speed of the wind simply by how rough the surface of the ocean is? That's precisely right, yeah. Not just how fast the wind blows, but also which way. The ocean, it's got waves. The wind creates these smaller ripples that ride on top of the waves. We're able to deduce if the wind is blowing into us or blowing away from us. The ripples look slightly different if you look at the back of the wave versus the front of the wave. Speed of the wind and direction. Useful information. Brown's instrument, called Cover is now sending back microwave images of the world ocean and waiting 
for hurricane season. Speaking with Shannon Brown at JPL, for KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Monday, February 28th. You can listen to the full extended version of KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza's interview with Nevada Joint Union High School District Board Trustee Jamie Reeves on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's where you'll also find last week's interviews with Teachers Association President Eric Mayer and Superintendent Brett McFadden. KVMR gets support from SPD Markets, family operated for over 60 years, utilizing local farmers and suppliers, offering conventional, organic, and specialty products, hot and cold deli items, also bakery goods, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, spdmarket.com, and Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Stick around. Up ahead, it's Wings, the Women's International News Gathering Service. Today's episode continues on from last week's. Najiba Ayubi gives a history of media rights in Afghanistan, the problem of losing reporters, and insight into her discussions with Taliban negotiators. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening to the news this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.